Would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> I'll read from verse 1 to verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In his first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power with the, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the world, end of the earth. And when they had said these things, they, they were looking on, and he, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's just quickly pray. Father, we pray that, that you'd speak to us from your word. Whatever our needs are, Lord, whatever it is that we need to hear, may it be, Lord, that you are glorified in our presence. And that your word will take root in our hearts and bear much fruit. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Uh, John Piper was asked why he's so driven. And this was his prompt answer. He said, I'm convinced that our churches are full of people going to hell. I'm convinced that our, our churches are filled with people who are going to hell. He wasn't talking about people who just come to church who are like, don't call themselves Christians, but he is talking about them who are, who are deceived, who think they're Christians, have done all the trappings of a Christian, but they have been deceived. They're not a Christian. I want to, you know, um, in, in some sense, I think, you know, the easy believism that we have got people to believe that if to become a Christian, all you have to do is just uh, do the sinner's prayer, raise your hand. And, and somehow, I think we have thought that that is all it takes to be a Christian. And one of the things that I want to do is I, God gives opportunity, is to bring us back to this thing of discipleship. We touched on it last Friday. But to, but to come back and to to really understand, because it's a matter of eternity. We can't just be fooling around with this. I want to give you two warnings that Jesus Christ gave. One, as he was speaking to the crowd, it's, we read that in Luke chapter 13, verse 25 to 26. This is what it says, talking about striving to enter through the narrow gate. And, and it says, Once the master of the house has written and shut the door, and you will stand outside and knock on the door, 
and the Lord, uh, you will say, open, answer me, and the Lord will say, I don't know you where you came from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I don't know where you are from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. And then again in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 to 23, talking about the false prophets who would come, Matthew 7, 20 to 23, you'll recognize them by their fruits. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to you, I never, never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think there's a there's implication here. I want us to understand this. You see, the one of the implications is we must believe Jesus if we say we believe in Jesus. What do I mean by that? The Lord is not, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, he's not pulling a prank or whatever. He he means what he's saying. And I don't know your hearts and what what, what I. What I struggle to struggle to 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 put my uh, you know wrap my head around and to say that I hope in our midst there's no one who's deceived. That on that day there'd be some who'd be knocking on the door and the Lord would say, "I never knew you." I, I don't intend to be dramatic. I only intend to do two things. One there's a preacher's mandate. Every teacher is supposed to teach and to warn and to guard the souls of the people that he is talking to through the power that God has, you know, through the word that God has laid on his heart. That they would be warned, that they would not be deceived, that they would check it out for themselves, that this faith that they have come to is real. Uh, when I talk about the teachers, I also talk about the Sunday school teachers. I talk to us about, uh, as parents, as father to the son, as mother to the daughter, our roles that we have in teaching, that we will tell our children, show our, you know, the people who we interact with, that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is much more than just raising your hand or just, you know, getting into this, into this concept of thinking that, oh, I did the sinner's prayer, I'm on my way to heaven. There's also this thing about, uh, you know, if we are a Christian, we have to be a disciple. And from the Great Commission, we understand that disciples must make disciples, that we all have a responsibility. It's not just something that I've, you know, gotten in my hand and I'm going to sit tight. There's an interaction. There is speaking into. So that we'd be influencers. And, and, and so, as I, as I title this, I want to say this is the command of the risen king. That as we as Christians would, would ask, would remind ourselves that no one's excluded it's not my exclusive responsibility to stand here and to tell you, but each one of us to, 
be and to make disciples. Now we will show that there will be this vital sign of, of what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. And so today the objective is just this one thing. The one objective that I want to touch on is this, that what does his last command while he was on the earth mean to us? Why is it applicable to us? That's the one thing I want to bring to our fore. I don't want to go into the details of everything else, and hopefully we will have opportunities for that. But that one reason from this passage that we read. And so let's just go back to the text and see what the text says. And in verse 1, it says in the first book of Theophilus, we know the first book is the book of the Gospel of Luke. And, and I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach and the implication there is that, you know, Jesus began to do and to teach, and, and he wrote about it in, in his gospel account, but the Acts is what he continues to do. Uh, sometimes we have the title, The Acts of the Apostles, is written on top. And in some sense, I want you to understand that, yeah, it is the Acts of the Apostle, but it is the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Apostle. I'll give you, let me give you two verses. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, I'll read 14 and 17. Ephesians 2, 14 and 17, it says, For he, that is Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition before us. Now look at 17. It says, And, and came, that is, and Jesus came and preached peace to you which were afar off to them that were nigh. Jesus came and preached to you peace who were afar off. Chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. But ye have not so learned Christ, and if so, be that ye have heard. Now I'm reading this from KJV because it's a little clear, and I'll tell you why that ye have heard, not ye have heard about him, but you have heard him, and that, and that you have been taught by him, not taught you know, of him or in him, but by him. Because the prepositions in the Greek is, is just that, and, and sometimes it, it, the translators find it difficult to say, how did Jesus, he, he never got to Ephesus, so how did he teach? But the truth of God's word is just this, that as the apostles, the disciples taught God's word, they heard the words of Jesus. And you and I have the same privilege. That when we use God's word, when we preach God's word to our children, to our, to our Sunday school kids, or here in the church, that these are the words of Jesus. We are just mere channels. It's a privilege, therefore as we speak God's word, talk about the gospel. Then verse 2 to 5, this is what we see, and I call it the, you know, the 40-day EMBA, you know, the executive uh, MBA is mentoring before ascension. What Jesus does is he, he comes in and he spends that 40 days through infallible proofs, speaking about him. And what does he speak about? Do you, do you, did you get that? What does he speak about? He's speaking about the kingdom of God in verse 3. The theme of the risen king is the kingdom of God, and so must our theme be the king and about his kingdom. And so we see that he 
talks to them about the kingdom of God. Then you get to verse 6 to 11, which is where I want to bring our attention to. And if you'll see on top of your Bible, on top of verse 6, it says the ascension. It's the ascension passage, really. It's the ascension. And so verse 9 is the crux. He was taken up. He was taken up. I want us to say the king has ascended. The king has ascended. And when I say the king is taken up or is ascended. It's not just about he was lifted up to go into another part of the universe. It's not that he went to another geographical location, that he has ascended. It's about a relationship change. It's about authority. It's about power. The king has ascended. It implies that the one who's seated on the throne is the king. You're not just seated on the throne. It doesn't make, you know, I, I remember... Uh, going to a palace, a medieval palace, uh, in this public courtyard, there was a stone throne uh, that was set. Now, I guess during his times, there must have been all those cushions and the, you know, whatever that, uh, whatever they must have been. But I got to go sit on the throne. But when I sat on the throne, nobody bowed down to me, nobody clapped, nobody applauded. There was no response. I just sat on the throne, but I'd not ascended on the throne. I, I hope you get the difference. Jesus Christ ascended on the throne. This is the same thing when, when the high priest and the elders, the Pharisees, the, all of them, the, the Sanhedrin were there and he was falsely implicated. And the high priest says, I adjure you by the holy God. Are you the son? Uh, are you Christ? Are you the son of, son of man? And he says in, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 69, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. He was talking about the fact that he will ascend the throne. It's the ascension. This is Psalm 24. I want you to turn to Psalm 24. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Uh, we won't go much into the depth, but, but I just want you to see from, uh, go back home and read that if you want. But Psalm 24, verse 7 to 8, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and lift up, O ancient doors, the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The King of glory. The scholars will have us understand that this psalm, and, and then you have in verse 9, again, the lift up your, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and lift them, O ancient doors. And you see the difference there that he is the king of glory. The first time the, 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 the king victorious comes in as he has, has conquered uh, death and the grave. We sang this morning, I cannot keep quiet because you are victorious over the king, over death and, and the grave. And as he comes in, he ascends to the right hand of the throne of God. It's right hand of the throne of God is talking to us about the power, the authority, the ascended king. And the latter part of that is when he comes back, takes his people. It's a lot of host as he comes back with his saints. But I want us to understand the king has ascended. So it's in that light that we want to see if the king has ascended, what are its implications for us this morning? What does that mean? If the king is on the throne, what does that mean? 
to us as subjects. First, it means that the ascension is a confirmation of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Some, uh, sorry, uh, Philippians 2, that he would be given a name above every other name. And when he says it is finished, heavens say that the work is finished and he is exalted. It's a work that is complete. The prayer of the Son in John chapter 17 was this, that I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work. And what does our Father say? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 22, he says, For he, that is God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. He says, Worked in Christ when he, that is God, raised him up, that is Jesus, from the dead, and seated him, that is Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all, rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That is Jesus Christ who's ascended as the Father exalts Jesus Christ. That is ascension. This actually is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel where Daniel sees the, uh, the Son of Man approach the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Ascension, resurrection, and the ascension is the confirmation of the work that Jesus Christ, the work of Christ is fulfilled and accepted in the Father, by the Father. The ascension of Jesus Christ. Also want us to understand the ascension is good news for us. It's great news for us. You know, three years, and then half a mark, Jesus starts to talk to them about the Messiah who would suffer. And then you have the 40 days where there was this intense telling about the kingdom of God. And you know how verse 6 is, and they came together and says, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? the penny hadn't dropped. They haven't understood. Remember Mary? When she saw the resurrected Jesus, she held on to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord says, don't cling to me. It's not about touching. I want you to understand because just immediately after, it sees that the women, women come and fall at his feet, touching his feet and worshiping him. He in fact calls out to Thomas and he says, reach out and touch and see. So it's not about touching as much about not letting go. You want the risen Savior to remain on the earth. And you know what he says? The Lord says in John chapter 20, verse 17, For I have not ascended to the Father. Go tell my brothers and say, I'm ascending to my Father. The ascension of Jesus Christ. He had also, the Lord Jesus previously, as he was talking to his disciples, he was saying how he will ascend. And it's better that he ascends, that he goes up to heaven. That is what he was trying to tell Mary, that my ascension is important. Because as I ascend, I will send you the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 16, verse 7 to 11, John chapter 16, verse 7 to 11, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he will come, and he will convict the world 
of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The ascension of Jesus Christ. The disciples finally understood what it meant, what it meant. You know, I'll tell you why. Because in Luke chapter 24, verse 51 to 53, it says here, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They had just seen Jesus leave. They won't have him anymore. And yet they returned with great joy because they've understood in some sense what is happening. The ascension of Jesus Christ. We were also uh, talking on Friday that how, how because of ascension, it's possible now to do greater works. We looked at, looked at John the Baptist, who was, who was considered to be the greatest born of women, and yet the one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. We, say, we saw uh, Jesus say, greater works than, than these you will do. And that's because of this helper who's come down, isn't it? You see, we, we, Emmanuel, what's Emmanuel? God with us, right? So in the birth of Jesus Christ, it is God with us. And then on Calvary, what, what was it? It's God for us. And then you have the Pentecost, which is a result of, of Jesus going up, ascending into heavens. God in us. Not just God with us, not just God for us, but God in us. Uh, because of the Holy Spirit that we have, let me read to you. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out the Holy Spirit that is you yourself are seeing and hearing. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. But ascension also means something else. It means that his will is my command. His will is my command. You see, when when he's the king, there there are no questions asked. What he says must be done. There are two different situations where Luke actually talks about the argument among the, um, among the disciples as to who's going to be the greatest. Right there, they're having this little talk. Even in the Last Supper, John mentions that the disciples are still talking about who's going to be the greatest. And the rest of the disciples are upset with John and James because they bring their mother to help, and they're upset, I don't know, because they couldn't bring their mother, or, you know. It was, they were not upset because they were trying, that, that they have understood that Jesus alone is the greatest, and yet he comes to serve, but because they were trying to usurp that position. They, they, they don't seem to have understood that Jesus is not here to give out these preferential treatment. What he gives instead is a command. And oftentimes we as you know, we want to have this uh, preferential treatment. Well, what he says is, you will be 
my witness. You will be my witness. It is not, will you be my witness? It is not, you know, I did all this for you. Now, guys, can you do something for me? It is not, I have to go. Will you take care? Will you be my witness? You will be my witness. That's God's, that's, that's the command of the risen king. You will be my witness. It's a command. It's an imperative. There are no questions asked. You will be my command. It's like a divine subpoena. You have no choice. You are called to be the witness. If you are a disciple, if you, are the, if you say you are a child of God, stop fooling yourself otherwise. John 21 is a great example. You know, by the time when Peter, the Lord goes and, and, and uh, you know, he goes to the, to the, uh, the uh, seashore and, and they're trying to fish and, and he calls out again and, 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 they, and the boat is filled again. This time the net doesn't break and they realize this is the Lord and Peter just jumps and he, he can't wait and he comes to the seashore and as he comes, he sees the coal and the fish and he looks at the coal and he's kind of reminded, oh yeah, I know what happened last time when I was by the, uh, the coal of fire. And yet there as he speaks, Jesus is talking to him, to Peter and says, will you feed my sheep? Do you love me? But I want you to notice what happens as he walk. You know, it seems like there's a conversation along as they go for a walk with John tagging along at the back. And he talks there, he, he, he's showing, is showing in verse 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 19, sorry. It says, and this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. He's just given him a commission. He said, these are the things that you need to do. You need to feed my sheep. Then he talks about his death and see how that verse ends. It says, follow me. Follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me to Peter. Peter has understood that following Jesus means death. Means death. He minces no words. It's not bait and switch. Sometimes we try to do, come to Jesus. You know, we'll have success and liberty and all of that. He's no salesman trying to sell his gospel. He's the king who's ascended. I want us to realize that. He's the king. And kings only command. His every wish is a command. He doesn't change an agenda. We can't change his agenda. And if we were to, we simply come obeying. And if you don't like the message, he doesn't compromise. But <clears throat> the joy there is this king is going to come again. And that's how this passage ends. And that's, that's how they have the joy, knowing that this ascended king is going to come back. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven shall come in the same way as you saw him go. The world has seen the Lord Jesus on the cross, despised and rejected. And that seems to be the image that they have. They can say and do whatever they think they can about Jesus. He's become a swear word in our 
in our culture. And yet I want us to be reminded, he is the ascended king. And he who is coming down is the king of kings. The ascended king. Now I think we need to ask ourselves as we continue to probe this, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to each one of us? This ascended king, if he is on the throne, what does that mean? I got some props here. I don't want to be gimmicky, but I hope, I, I hope you'll understand the picture that I'm trying to paint. That's supposed to be thrown. Well, that's the best I could get. But I want us to stay with this. In each one of our lives, there's a throne, there's a cross. There's a throne and there's a cross. The throne is anything that takes priority. Anyone that takes priority. It's a picture of who is reigning. It's the one who sits on the cross, on on the throne. Only one person can sit on the throne. The cross is a picture of self-denial. It's a picture of denial. I want us to understand that, you know, oh, I've got this sickness, that's a cross. I lost my job, that's a cross. I have a problem with this relationship, that's a cross. Those are sufferings, but those are not your crosses. Crosses are your self-denial. When you say no to yourself, that is what goes on the cross. You see, when Jesus Christ said, take up your cross and walk, the Jews at that time understood what was being said. They, they, they would be aghast. They would say, why would you use the implement of a foreign invading army of their instrument of death to call me to be a disciple? You can just say, I'll take up stones, take up stones. And No, he talks about the cross because, you know, the Roman soldier, the moment he comes up to you and says, follow me, take up your cross... The person who picks up the cross knows that they're going to a death. Nowhere else. And Jesus invites you and I to take up the cross to self-denial. To self-denial. So the question I ask myself because I can only ask myself, and I hope you will ask yourself, who is on the cross and who is on the throne? And the only way I, I seem to understand to ask this question, who's on the cross or who's on the throne, is about our choices. The choices, our choices betray who we are. Our choices betray who's on the throne and who's on the cross. Let me, let me give you a little history. When we first moved in here about three, four years ago, we were thinking about the cross. and We were thinking, do we just leave the cross there or should we take it out? And we had this little debate. And then we said, oh, there's really no image on the cross to show that, oh, this is about Jesus Christ. And we, we recognized that. And we just, you know, we just left at that, left the cross there. 
because it's, you know, looked good and things like that. But I think there's, a, there's an application for us. You see, Jesus is not on the cross. When we pray, we don't go to the cross and we don't go and, you know, uh, say, Jesus, help me, because Jesus is not on the cross. Remember the first day of the week when the women went to the grave? What, what were they told? Why are you looking for the dead among the living? He's not in the grave. He's on the throne. He's the ascended king. So therefore, we go to the grace, the throne of grace. That is where we find him. But this throne, this cross here is helpful because you know, ever so often it'll be good to remind for ourselves that the only person who needs to be there is myself and yourself. And that's our choices. It's our choices that will betray this. We cannot serve two masters, even if you think you can multitask. God's word is very clear. Only one of us can be a master. Only one person's will, only one person's wish can be a command. So the question is, who wins? Who won today? Was it your will or was it the Lord? I was just trying to understand, how do I test for myself? Who's on the cross? You know, when somebody speaks abruptly to me or is indifferent to me, do I bristle very easily and I react? And I want to, you know, that's because the self is on the throne. It's It's the self that's getting offended because if the self is on the cross, being put to death on a daily basis, it doesn't have time to bristle. Who, who do I talk about most? What, what's, you know, do, do I get to talk about the inconsequential things or am I raptured by the one who's on the throne? The ascended king. Do I cringe every time I, I have to part with, you know, uh, you know, finances is a big thing, isn't it? Finances is a big thing. We limit ourselves, we budget ourselves, we do all that, and, and then there is this need to be given for God, and we, you know, we want to budget with God. We seem to be very careful. We forget that as we begrudge him, as we, you know, we, we forget that he's the one who gave it to us. He's... I want us to be known in the courts of heaven as one who gives. You don't need to know. I don't need to know what you do, how you give, but in the courts of heaven. That we we would give because, because we realize the ascended king is on the throne. Peter understood when he says, follow me to be a disciple. It means death. It also means there's no compromise. So we have sometimes misused grace to understand that as compromise. We have thought that king will understand 
the king is gracious. The king will know that I'm weak, I'm in need, I'm desperate, or whatever that situation might be, and that God will understand my sin and leave me there to enjoy it. The ascended king's command, you will be my witnesses. In sin, we can never glorify God. We were reminded this morning about anxiety. If that's an anxiety because of sin, you better get it clarified. Because that anxiety is for the child of God who has come knowing that there is no other place to go. I want to obey the will of the, of the king. Nothing else. And Jesus says, do not be anxious. In your anxiety, you can't do anything. Because as our desires take grip of our heart, it will cause anxiety. Sin causes anxiety. And therefore, as a child of God, whose sins have been forgiven, who is in the right standing for God, before God, anxiety plays no role. There's no place. So that message is not for the rest of the world. It's not for some of us here, I don't know. It's not for me. If I don't obey the command of the king. Because I will be anxious. I'll be fearful when I break the command. The commission of the king. I want us to understand. That making allowances and accommodation. Is nothing short of the coronation of ourself. Ourself is the one who sits on the throne and as a disciple of Jesus Christ the only one who can sit on the throne on the throne of my heart and the throne of your heart that's something that you can check to see is a person is he the one who is on your throne and you shall be my witnesses what does the world the world therefore will see and therefore look at them and says yeah i understand who the king is i hear the word of jesus christ because he or she is the witness you shall be my witness because what's a witness witness is the one who has seen and heard and experienced you cannot be a witness if you have not done any of those. And for those who have done that, as we sang the song this morning, we cannot keep quiet. I have to tell you the story. Or are we being a false witness? We want to put this face, a mask, let people think that everything is okay make allowances for ourselves, make our own choices, our desires, we wallow in it, and then we think that, that God should be happy with us. I tell you not, king, he is the king, the ascended king. I want you to know, because Hebrews tells us that each time you take advantage of this grace, abuse grace, it is as if you're putting him to cross. Ah, please, and please this. That in our midst, there is no one who has been deceived. That there's no one who has been deceived. That you would ask yourself, because this is the matter of the king, this is the matter of eternity. 
He has called us to be a witness. And we pray that we will be his witness indeed. Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We acknowledge, Lord, that there is nothing in us, just grace that has brought us to the fold. But we acknowledge, Lord, that grace is not against effort, but against earning. It is not that there's nothing for us to do. It is not us putting up our feet and, and uh, going on our cruise. But we pray that we will be your faithful witness. Therefore, we can hear from you, Lord, my good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we have your, the Holy Spirit in us who enables us to do the right thing, to glorify you, to be your witness. And so we pray for all of us here, Lord, who you've assembled here, that we will be your faithful witness. That in the actions that we do, in the things that we say, in the things that we think, in the, in the, uh, uh, the, the things that we do behind closed doors and uh, away from your people, we pray all of that would be laid bare and that we will, we will be transparent with integrity. We will seek to worship you, that you'd be honored. You'd be the one who's lifted up. You'd be the one who's on, on, our, on the throne of our lives. For you are the ascended king. To you, our knees bow, and we confess there's no one else we want to go to, no one else whose praise and worship we want to give. So we thank you again. We worship you. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen.